Welcome to Heavy Strategy, the show where we ask good questions and hopefully you come up with the answers. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're just trying to help you think about how to get there. Greg does not like when I do this, but he's Greg Farrell and I'm Jonna Johnson, in case you just hopped on and wondering who these people are. You can be internet friends with us on LinkedIn, or you can find Jonah on her website at nemerdes.com. Uh, so what we wanted to do is do a bit of a, a bit of a retrospective for 2023. Very short show. We're not going to bang on about uh, our predictions or anything, but I think there's some themes and some ideas that we could reasonably talk about as being things that are on our minds as we go in. I mean, obviously, as the year evolves, we'll talk about the things that are on our minds and as we go forward. But why don't you start off with what's on your mind, Jonah? What's one of the big topics that you're working on? Well, I'm going to take it in reverse and say, let's let's have a look at summarizing 2023 before we jump into 2024. And I would say it's absolutely clear that 2023 was the year of large language models and generative AI. No surprise there. I think it's the year that suddenly ordinary humans became aware of the potential of this particular flavor of AI. I think it's important, though, to not lose sight of some of the other things that were happening in 2023. And Greg and I had a show on this a little while back where we were talking about how technology sort of moves very quickly and then it kind of plateaus and consolidates. We saw a lot of consolidation of typical technology, traditional IT happening in 2023 and 22 and 20, you know, modulo what was going on mm. with COVID. But, you know, the, the router space, you have Cisco going off. And buying Splunk, you have HPE going off and buying Juniper. Basically, infrastructure has gotten very, very stabilized over the past several years to the point where some of the hard decisions and the hard problems have really gotten subsumed into the software. And mm. while all of our attention was focused on the possibilities of AI, everything else was kind of leveling out and sta stabilizing and getting, frankly, a bit boring. Yeah, but and I think we saw that because AI became a real hype. Everything right. else was, just, you know, VMware is VMware, Nutanix was Nutanix, storage was storage, and we saw hyperconverge lose its momentum, public cloud slowing down because people are realizing the problems of the, the and the shortcomings exactly. of the public cloud. It's very expensive in the public cloud. People are now saying we need to reevaluate. We're not making smart decisions. Also, post COVID, everybody's tired. You know, we've had all the economic issues, inflation, then not inflation. You know, there was a shortage of people now companies are laying off. The laying off, I think, is important to focus on because I f it seems to me very much that we are at another inflection point. And let me kind of talk about what I mean by another inflection point. Back in the 1950s and 1960s, IT didn't exist. People, Companies were buying these computers and they had kind of the computer wizard, the director of computing or something like that. And that guy, it was almost inevitably a guy, would mm. kind of babysit the computers, make sure the computers got the right mm. software and make sure the users got what benefit they got, which was usually the back office productivity benefit. Accounting mm. was revolutionized back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And then everything kind of stabilized and lands came along. And all of a sudden you had people who had job titles and backgrounds that were totally different from the computer operators, so to speak. But these people were hooking up these brand That's new networks and LANs and things like that. And One of my very first technology jobs was getting WordPerfect 5.1 operating on a Novell Netware LAN yeah, exactly. so that they could share files, the word processing files, and, and share, share printers. That, that was, was it. That was the whole thing. Point of the land. And in fact, the value proposition of lands for people that didn't want to spend the money, the original mm. business case for lands was printer sharing, as yes. crazy as it sounds. Yep. In any event, 
people like Greg came out of the woodwork and they hadn't worked at IBM for, you know, 50 years because yeah. that would have made you negative whatever years old um, when you started. But that was a whole different group of people that ultimately from the 70s through about the 90s, these people focused on networking. We moved into the concept of data centers. The Internet started to appear. And by around the 90s, CIOs started to pop up. And these were individuals whose job for the next 10 years was really to rein in this technology sprawl, make it cost effective, turn into pretty much a bean counter and kind of subsume and tame it. So then we spent 20 years with CIOs doing that. And in the meantime, this digital transformation crept up around the edges, which really, if you think about it, I think of it as a, a long, slow explosion that starts at the core. Back office gets computerized, then the front office gets computerized. And with digital transformation, you're now using computers and communication technology for everyone else, for people who are not physically in an office, for customers, for suppliers. So it gets out beyond the bounds of the enterprise. And that was the big deal for the early couple decades of this century. And now we're sort of done with that. And you're yeah. hearing about, you know, Greg, as you had mentioned, things like layoffs. People are saying we don't need traditional IT. And the same way that we didn't need as many traditional mainframe operators or as many land managers as each of these shifts happened, I think that's accurate. But what is also happening, and this is the important point, now we can pivot and look forward, is technology is becoming embedded so far across the organization that there's a new breed of technologists that's yeah. popping up. Yeah. And so, so you're seeing technology once again outside the traditional definition of IT, yeah. just like lands were outside the traditional definition of mainframes. Yeah, there's a few things that, that come into my mind because of the story about Novell Netware and WordPerfect 5.1 and daisy wheel printers to improve the quality of bids for construction contracts. It's important to remember that back in those days, they used to buy that equipment on a five-year lease, whereas now we buy technology equipment as a consumable. And I don't think most companies even uh, capitalize it on the books for depreciation now. It's just a consumable. They do, but it's a it's a drag. It's a you know yeah. trailing indicator. In other words, yeah. big companies do it, but they probably shouldn't at this yeah. point. In the and old days, so companies, companies couldn't afford it. They'd had to go to the bank. Right. That was so expensive yeah. that they went to a bank and got a you know, a loan to cover the cost of it. And then well, the price of PCs came down to the point where everybody could afford one and you could have lots of them, not just a few of them. And But now and, what we're seeing is the price of IT is expanding rapidly. One of the things that we've seen over the last five years is the cost of IT has increased by, by my calculations, by 150%, which is far ahead of inflation or the value delivered. And we're starting to see companies say, hang on, we're now overspending on IT. There's definitely value in it, but there's a problem here. It's costing too much. And now that mirrors the, the wider economic situation where during COVID companies started charging more and more. They talk about greedflation. And so there may be a price reset, but I suspect that in 2024, we're going to see a lot of vendors not hit their numbers because they've raised the prices to the point where well, customers yes, are saying no. not seeing the and, and here, here's my but no. Think I think it's really important to change your focal length, the focal length of your vision mm. from traditional IT and start looking at, looking at all the technologies that are happening outside of IT. So, for example, you kicked off this by asking if I was going to get a, yet another set of AVAR glasses. And mm. if you think about this, we're talking, you know, we were swapping recommendations on mics and cameras. Those are not, and that's just a, a casual example, but those are not 
traditionally IT. There's something else. They're usually AV or some some subset that are getting revolutionized. And what you're also seeing is IoT is going gangbusters, partly because Mm. it was so primitive for so many years and it's getting brought into the fold. And then you're seeing novel areas like, yes, AI. And yes, I know we disagree on this one, but quantum computing is starting to bubble up in supercomputers and that will trickle down and eventually affect everyone. So you're st- and you're starting to see things like quantum entanglement for networking. So you're starting to see a whole burst of technology outside the domain of traditional IT. Traditional IT vendors, absolutely, they're in for a rough slog. Mm. You know, the good ones will survive just like IBM is still here, but DEC isn't. So it's going to be a winnowing out of the traditional yeah. IT well, vendors. I- but at the same time, there's going to be a a whole new generation of products that aren't even considered IT and will never be considered mm. IT that are still technology that drives value inside organizations. Yeah. Come back to my point. My point is that AI is the only cool thing that's happening in infrastructure technology. You can take AI, add it to your infrastructure and improve things. And we'll be doing shows on that in the in the weeks ahead. You know, no doubt we'll be talking about the 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 movement from manual configuration to automation, where automation was configuring a single device, and then the migration to orchestration. Now, not all customers have reached, you know, not every company has reached orchestration of their infrastructure yet, or their applications or automation. But the next phase after that is to add AI. So AI can start to say, hang on, you're doing something here, but we could give you a process workflow that does this for you so you don't have to do it manually. Or we can look in the the telemetry that's coming out of the system or the logs and suddenly say, there's a problem here. You should go and do something about it. So they, so we're moving from this reactive, something's reported as a problem, to a more proactive, we're seeing something, we're flagging it to you. And that is well, an efficient, that is a an efficiency. That is not going to take away your job, but it's going to let you do more. And But at the same time, you've got to remember that but many companies, their infrastructure is now so complicated that it's very difficult to manage it. In the old days, when you were a networking engineer working for one company, you used to work on one brand of router, one brand of firewall. It was comprehensible for a single person to get around most of what was going on. You might have a specialization in firewalls or proxies or the MPLS NetWAN or, or the branch network or the campus, but generally everybody could be across anything. But in, in the modern era, it's much more complicated. SD-WANs, overlays, campus security, zero trust, all that stuff is much more complicated and you need a way to address that. And I think that's where the demand for AI is coming from. And- well, I think that's true, but I think focusing on AI is a little bit short-sighted. I think you're correct that practically speaking, that is the most interesting, innovative thing that's happened in the past, you know, several years. However, I think it's a it's just a an indication of the broader theme of software defined and cloud-based infrastructure. And I think yeah. more broadly what's happening with infrastructure is with AI, yes, and automation, yes, but also cloud to cloud integration is something that for example, I sit down with clients and they mm-hmm. say, "Well, I don't need any more network engineers, but I'm up to my eyeballs trying to figure out how to integrate my 57 different SaaS solutions in a way that I can implement and orchestrate workflows in them that are meaningful. And there are tools for that. They're cloud-based tools. But that whole level of infrastructure at that level is something that's very, very different than it was before because now we're talking about integrating applications in a way that never happened before. Yeah. So what you're saying there is that people, you're seeing a convergence between off-prem and on-prem. Exactly. So, and and everything both off and on is moving up into software defined, software defined often, but not exclusively cloud based. And so, those two things are major shifts. So one of the things I think we'll see in 2024 is a very big 
trend to on-prem. So people will start to say, I can see these bundles like HP's GreenLake, uh, Dell Apex, where they provide the whole stack and you don't have to do any of the integration. You buy it sort of like an old mini computer from the 1990s. When I first started out, I was working on mini computers and you bought the computer and everything you got everything with it. The storage and everything was in one stack. And we're now getting to this rack scale. I think we're going to see more and more of that on-prem. Because customers don't want to have to do the integration, they don't want to buy. Well, but they, I disagree on that because mm. well, you're you're missing the SaaS universe. That horse has left the barn. Everything is SaaS at this point, and SaaS to SaaS integration is something with those workflows that I'm talking about. Mm. Where above the level of of infrastructure, you there's still an enormous amount of effectively application infrastructure that needs to get done integrating these clouds together. Yeah, so you may I, you, I agree you with may, you. I think that's right. But what I'm also seeing is signs of fatigue around SaaS. Companies are starting to realize the hidden costs and how they cumulatively get out of control. I have not seen any un- indication of that in SaaS. In fact, exactly the contrary. When I sit down and talk to a client, I've had cases where I sit down and talk to a client and they say, oh, we're not doing any cloud at all. And I go, uh-huh. You mean you just you're just telling me you have a data center. Now, let's talk about how you do your payroll and your accounting and your CRM and they're all cloud-based and they never even yep. thought about it and they didn't even realize that the biggest problem they're running into is that these things aren't glued together effectively and don't have reliable and resilient workflows yes. between them. And I have not heard a single person say, "Oh, you know, Salesforce, I think I'm going to bring that all in house because logistically it makes no sense." No, the flexibility yet, but that I these cloud-based apps are giving people—you could, you can think that, but there's no evidence for behind it. Behind closed doors, I think you're seeing, and from what I'm seeing, is customers are starting to look at how much they're spending on SaaS and starting to question long term whether this is sustainable. Because, again, because the pricing's out of control. They can't um, control the I, price I that Salesforce. I, I really disagree. I don't see people complaining. It's no different than, you know, Microsoft increasing the, the rates for its licensing for desktop stuff year after year. The real issue is not cloud versus on-prem. It's flexible and flexible and expandable versus not. And, oh, by the way, are we getting locked into a single vendor? That's it. The problems aren't new. It has nothing to do with cloud. It has everything to do with the fact that Microsoft dominates a certain class of software and, and Salesforce dominates a certain other class of software and ServiceNow dominates a certain other class of software. And these guys, once they once they become your sole provider, can jack up the prices as much as they want, regardless of the delivery mode. So I don't see well, any any I do. any I signs do. I'm of seeing pushing companies back with, against SaaS. I am. No. SaaS companies are reporting falling revenues because customers are taking stock and reducing. And they're I, but also I haven't funding. seen a single customer deploy an on-prem mm. solution where they used to be deploying a SaaS. No, that, no, that's not the. We're not at that stage yet. I'm saying we're. So I'm pointing out that I'm starting to see pushback against SaaS because the costs are uncontrolled. No, it's pushback. You're 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 focusing on the wrong thing. It's mm. pushback against particular vendors because they're jacking their prices up, but they're switching yep. to a different SaaS vendor. No, what they're actually doing is discontinuing services with the SaaS, so they're cutting costs. So they, companies they are, like but Snowflake they're moving to di- but, but they're and- moving to different. They're, but no, yeah, and again, Splunk, but for again, example, we are definitely seeing rehousing. So customers who've been using Splunk are definitely pulling out of Splunk and rehousing that on-prem. Splunk is a special case, though, because number mm. one, it's SaaS, but it's not user SaaS. It's infrastructure SaaS. And number yeah. two, I think there's been a knowledge across the board for a long, yeah. long time that Splunk has had has been brilliant at grabbing revenue and being sole provider. And now that it's part of Cisco, as we talked about on a previous show... Mm. 
the fact that Splunk and both Splunk and Cisco are tremendous at extracting margins from their customers is causing everybody to say, hang on, I need to rethink both Splunk and Cisco because this is crazy. We have two mm. vendors who are sole source. You, you'd never get fired for buying Splunk or Cisco. Mm. And now they're just going to come at me and they've gotten even stronger yes. together. So now I'm going to rethink My point everything. is, is that in the, the circles that I move in, I am definitely seeing people rehouse oh, for parts Splunk. of you know, once you've got something like Splunk, you put stuff in there, and then suddenly you realize it didn't need to you be can't there. Get, and you can't, and you can't get it and out. You can't and yes, stop yes, yes, using yes, yes. Splunk. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, 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 what yeah. I'm also saying with you is, you're agree. not going to stop using Snowflake, a data warehouse, or you're not going to use a log management or a performance. But what you can do is start to pick bits of it out and rehouse it, right? Or yeah, but, the next uh, but, project that you do doesn't go to a SaaS; it gets done on prem, and that's increasingly what I'm seeing. I, I'd say for for the special use case of infrastructure, possibly. Uh, but the broader use case of SaaS overall, SaaS applications, those are just continuing to grow, and they're still highly, highly competitive because even though Microsoft can kind of dominate with Teams and Microsoft 365, there's still plenty of op- plenty of of counters to that. So I think if yeah. you take the step back, where the growth is coming from. I think what we can agree on is where the growth is coming from is not traditional infrastructure IT. Yes. We're seeing re- retrenching, cost savings, optimization, performance improvements, all those things that you see in a period of relative slack in terms of tides. But you're seeing enormous growth outside of what you would call traditional yeah. IT, and that's just taking off. And I believe like we're seeing the cloud companies slow their growth. So, with, you know, Well, it, the infrastructure just- cloud companies. Yes, they're slowing from forty-five percent growth to twenty-five percent growth, and they'll and they'll flatten out at a nice five to ten percent, you know, three yeah, years and, down. And, yeah, you can't sustain investing a hundred billion dollars a year into that infrastructure. Each company, we're already starting to see the signs where Azure and AWS are struggling to keep themselves going. They're not able to hold staff. Profitability is falling. They're, I saw something recently that AWS people are saying that they used to have like two pizza teams. Well, that mm-hmm. worked when you were just doing hypervisors or, you know, whatever. But if you're building an AI, you need four or 500 people in that system. You can't do it in chunks of 12, exactly. right, or chunks of 10. Exactly. And your your example is perfect because one of the things we did was a research study earlier in 2023, and one of the findings was that the growth rate of AI specialists outside of IT was at least double the growth rate of AI specialists within Mm. IT, which makes perfect sense because the application of AI really, essentially what you're trying to do is turbocharge subject matter experts with all the tools they need Mm. to deploy their subject matter expertise much more broadly. So, for example, on financial Financial firms, financial advisors are AI enhanced. They have the ability to do things, but they're still humans. They just need the assistance of an AI infrastructure around them. And that's going to get built inside the advisor and the customer, you know, the customer support organizations, not within the IT organization. And that's kind of the message I would give anybody listening. This is you're going to hear a lot of gloom and doom about how network engineers are getting laid off and storage engineers are getting laid off. And it's just going to be a handful of key people if you're, you know, rehoming mm. things on prem. That's all true. But all the job opportunities are happening outside of what used to be called IT okay. because IT is in a retrenchment phase, but technology is in a growth phase. <laughs> okay. Well, I think since you talked about retrenchment, do you think the role of being an employee or a salary slave changes in 2024? I don't. You know, there's been the fads of being a free agent and a consultant. And I think there's there's always going to be room for consultants to come and ply their trades. But quite frankly, in especially in the United States, 
uh, unless and until we figure out a way to get healthcare separate from being an employee, there's always going to be a huge tilt in the scale to being an employee. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying even if you're one of the people that's inside a large enterprise organization, the chances are very high that you and your team can have great jobs and great careers doing technology in that organization. Mm-hmm. But it's 50-50 whether it'll be within IT or not. I'd say mm-hmm. right now, I don't really want to be a CIO. That would be my main piece. Mm-hmm. piece the only advice I have is is make sure you've got enough money saved up so that if something happens to you, you don't fall apart. Well, that's right. always good advice. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, but even more so, I think in 2024, you're going to see a lot more layoffs. Companies are going to use AI and then lay off people, learn the well, hard Citibank way. Well, Citibank just announced that it was laying off, you know, retrenching, rebuilding and laying off 20,000 people. But I would point out that a lot of the people that are getting laid off are not necessarily in IT. And in oh. fact, they are probably simultaneously hiring another five to 10,000 people oh, yes. Yes. to yes. assist, but they have different skills. Yes. The and secret here the, is not that, yeah. is A, don't get attached to your employer and B, have three to six months money so that if you, oh, get, laid, if you get laid off, even in a, in a way where the employer doesn't pay you out, you can survive and you don't have to panic and your life is all okay. Let's move to one more topic, geopolitics and supply chain. We've seen so much happen with China, with Ukraine, with Russia, um, all the disruption as vendors have been moving their supply chains gradually away from China. Does that continue in 2024? And does that something that people should be factoring in? Yes and yes. How's that? Um, (laughs) From a U.S. perspective, I have to say one of the happy notes for 2024 is the fact that the CHIPS initiative in the U.S. is going gangbusters. And I'm about to lose a bet, actually, with a with a friend who swore up and down that the first fabs would be opening by 2025. And I said, you're nuts. It takes way too long to do those. And uh, long story short, Mark, I owe you a box of your favorite chocolate Um, (laughs) because because I think there's been a fire lit under the under the manufacturers, and I think you're seeing an enormous resurgence of basic technology happening in the U.S. with the entire supply chain moving inside the U.S. So, and part of that is in response to what happened over mm. with COVID. Well, not just the U.S., but also Europe yeah. and also throughout Asia. So, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, Australia is picking up some of it. EU, so particularly in I'll Eastern I'll Europe, trust your judgment Germany. on that because I, I don't pay close enough attention to that. To be honest, Greg, just a side note: I recently drove up the length of California and went, "Holy cow, this thing is one of the biggest countries in the world." Hmm. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about California <laughs> as a separate country since then. And I was born in California. You'd think yeah. I'd know this. So I yeah. all of my- I, I'm just I think it'll it's going to happen. We're going to see much more. Yep. It's just an evolving situation. Right at, as we speak. We're seeing an escalation right throughout the Arabic. So now you've got Pakistan yeah. and Afghanistan. And oh Yemen. my God! Yes, we could have, we could have a World War Three in the Middle East in a week, yeah. um, and and it's not in the news, which frightens me. And it actually never. affects everything because that's yes. where the shipping goes. That's where the ships are. China Hello? to the U.S., China to you know, the it's, Europe. If you're if you're sending cruise missiles against shipping vessels, um, that's going to be a supply chain break. But I would <laughs> well, they're I ballistic would... missiles, not cruise missiles. But I'm not going to argue the point. That's uh, yes. getting into semantics at this point. Before we wrap up, Greg, I do want to highlight something because I know there's this this tendency to sort of keep going into, I don't want to call it negativity, but yeah. war, supply chain disruption, IT consolidation. And I just want to highlight that I have not in 30 years seen the amount of technology investment and growth and innovation but it just happens to be outside the four walls of traditional IT. If you look at things like the first dual neural implant was done earlier in 2023, which now not only enabled a paralyzed person 
to move his hands, but also to feel because the yes. feedback loop was built yeah. in. That kind of stuff is what I'm talking about when I say outside of traditional IT. So if you're a technologist, you know, the future's never been brighter. You just need to raise your head up and look outside of the cubicle, IT cubicle and say, where is technology doing something that I'm super interested in? I'm also very excited about taking a positive out of a negative, the rise of drones. Yes. In military conflict has seen billions of dollars flow into production, manufacturing, assembly. But I think we're going to see just a massive expansion of that technology in terms of software. So if you put AI on top of drones, you know, the potential there for deliveries, for scanning, for building inspection. I mean, with the Grateful Dead show, I think it was last summer, they actually had, they had, you know, a drone, a drone fleet doing the entertainment. And I Mm. looked at that and I said, number one, that is so much better than fireworks. And number two, you don't just have to work in the military if you want to be, have your career in drones. There's so much commercialization here that we've just begun to scratch the surface. That was the one that I was thinking of lately, all this stuff that's happening. Now, obviously, it's terrifying that you can weaponize a drone, but that'll spill over into civilian use cases, which have got me very interested. And I also think that life in IT is probably going to get better. As we get more automation, more monitoring, more visibility, more telemetry, more, I think we're going to be able to do better jobs we could finally start to be able to say to business, I know what's going on in my infrastructure. Does that make sense? Am I, am it, I being it too does, hopeful? And, and the reason I'm smiling at you is as you were saying that, uh, I remember the very first time I used a high-level programming language after having programmed an assembly and going, wait, to, to, to multiply two numbers together, I just enter three times two. I don't have to move all these registers <laughs> and sum everything repeatedly. Oh, my God, this is brilliant. I mean, um, just having, it, kind having of something thing. to give me root cause analysis. Yes. So I can come, you know, something goes Why wrong. did this happen? Yes. Yeah. Give me a starting point, root cause analysis. Give me some troubleshooting tools that I can run a script that goes off and does a thing. Um, and I can suddenly say, oh, hang on. I know exactly what's going wrong because I got all the data in front of me. And Well, and I think a, a corollary to your observation, Greg, is that it's going to be much easier for IT folks to tie the va- what they're doing to business value because you're yes. able to say this mm-hmm. happened and then you know that you can look at quickly the ripple down effect and say here's where we lost a lot of money or here's where we were able to yeah. generate a new revenue stream and that's another thing that's going to make life easier within IT I spent a lot of my career doing visibility and telemetry you know out, you know with whatever I could do and honestly I think a lot of why of what I did successfully was due to the fact that I could take time to do better troubleshooting because I had better visibility they were monitoring tools or visibility tools at best but yeah well unfortunately that's all we've got time for today we have to run because time is up uh Jonah where can people find you on the internet come hit me up at nemertis.com that's where I hang out and would love to see you there if you uh, want to get involved in the conversation, head on over to the Packet Pushers Slack channel. That's where you can participate in the conversation. If you want to ask us questions, I'm hanging around in there. You can ask me questions and maybe Jonah, if we I get enough of you, well. you are there. If you ask questions, we'll jump in. We'll, I think there's even a heavy strategy channel. There is. As of yesterday, there's a heavy yeah. strategy channel. So Greg. come on in. If you want to ask us questions about links or conversation or expand the ideas, we'd be welcome you there. Uh, and if you've got any feedback, don't hesitate to head on over to packetpushers.net slash FU and send us your follow-up and we'll be able to respond directly back to you. If there's something you want us to discuss, something to talk about, and this is your invitation to join us on the show. If you ever want to come on and argue with us, I mean, debate, I mean, uh, share some ideas, ask the questions, come on on. Let's, uh, let's have a chat and see if you're up for the game. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.